I think we're, we're missing a, a key narrative here, especially for the flock pod element of all of this. The perfect scenario for this duck football team. Like, know where I'm, yeah, you know where I'm going with this, baby. <laughs> you know where I'm going. The Tennessee Volunteers are up there right now. And an opportunity to match up against them just for our duck temp. Just just for our duck temp. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Just, just the way that Tennessee constantly is like a, a ghost following our program around and following everything, all of our news and things of that nature. Yeah. Getting um, trolled by Tennessee fans like out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flock Pod. We are at hashtag 129 here at beautiful Chopper Base. It is raining outside. The Avatarier producers are sleeping away on the couch. Please be so kind. Go find us at the Flock Pod on all of your major podcast streaming platforms. Also, give us the five star ratings. Click that subscribe button so you get that fresh flockness in your feed. Also, please go find us on all of your social media platforms. Give us the likes, the retweets, the comments, all that good stuff to help us bump up in the algorithm. Shane continues to do great work with our Twitter feed, bumping up those numbers. You love to see that. You can find me at Coach Justin D on those same social media platforms. Shane, tell them where you are. You can find me at Bartender Shane Six on aforementioned Twitter and at Waka Flocka Shane Six on the Instagram. And of course, joined once again by our third Duck Migo, Mr. Duckswire himself, Zachary Neal. Zach, how are you, sir? Good, guys. Thanks for having me again. I'm, uh, I've am i been looking forward to this one. It's been a few days since the, the UCLA win, but this is, uh, is going to be a fun one. I think that a lot of the things we've been talking about this year have been kind of proven to be pretty right. So um, let's have fun with this one. Did I actually send you guys the text where I was thinking about doing an emergency pod like Saturday night, or did I just think about I sending think that you text? Did. I think you just thought it, but nah, I would have been in. I definitely <laughs> would have been in. That will happen. It just didn't quite necessitate like bringing Shane off of the the clopening, you know, session there on the weekend to, and, to bring uh, him in. I mean, I was going to save this for my my bar take here, but I got crushed on Saturday. <laughs> I did. I didn't get to watch any. I didn't even know that the onside kick in the second quarter happened until after the game. Oh wow! wow. I was, was a huge part of the game. Mm-hmm, I was that buried in like making bloody marys and stuff. I don't know what it was, but I just got crushed. Well, good for Scribbles. We love to love to hear about our uh, favorite bar in town, Scribbles, getting all that love. On today's pod, we are, of course, going to recap the big win over the UCLA Bruins on Saturday in a wonderful Autzen Stadium. I mean, that place was on fire for sure. We are going to preview the trip down to Berkeley against the California Golden Bears. It takes place 1230 this Saturday. And of course, our Duck Generic Corner at the end. So let's just jump right into it. I mean, Shane, you kind of jumped in a little bit there on Bar Corner. It was pretty crazy. 
Um, I was at the game. Great experience. I'm curious though, Zach, I mean, it's always different being in the crowd and then being up in the press box. So just what was your kind of vibe of just the overall energy of Otson, like kind of as you rolled in and as everything kind of just started to get going? Well, it was, it was very different this Saturday compared to, to past Saturdays because you had that game day feel. I mean, first of all, you've, you've got a 1230 game, which I'm a huge fan of just for, for my own sake. Um, it Me it too. just kind of makes the whole day way easier. I just love the noon kickoff. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I love not getting home late at night after games, which is fun, but uh, yeah, you had the game day atmosphere that kind of just got everything started. And there was that buzz throughout the city uh, leading up to the game. And then it was just a, a very, I would say, vintage Otson crowd. I mean, the crowd was, I mean, the stadium was almost full, like 20, 30 minutes before the game started. It was just really impressive. The students showed out. Um, yeah, I was just, I was really impressed with with the whole experience from that standpoint. And I'll say that the buzz was really like, you know, the whole town, I think with game day being in town, I think kind of build up to the game. Uh, like I said, I got crushed, but it was the first like true sports bar environment for a game this this year. Uh, and I felt like within that, there was also a funny amount of, uh, well, duck fan arrogance, I think, is back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some of the things I, I heard and like some of the things because I was kind of especially right before the kickoff, I'm kind of talking to some people and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, UCLA gets out early, like their running game and all these things like this could be a bad, you know, this could be a bad day. The weather was rolling in. I was like, I don't know if you know how this is going to affect Bo Nix and this, that, and the other. And people were just like, posh, posh, like, no, no, no. Bo Nix is the shit. He should win Heisman, this, that, and the other. I'm like, I don't know. So then Oregon comes out and just starts rolling pretty early. And they're like, see, I told you. And I'm like, Damn it again. again. <laughs> this kid is crushed. <laughs> now the stadium was definitely, I think vintage is a great way to put it, Zach. I mean, it was, it was a great environment for sure. Um, I've noticed in the games that I've went to the last couple of years, people just aren't as like gregarious towards each other. I mean, COVID obviously had a big deal to do with that, but like the, the random high fives that the random person next to you, when you're celebrating, like grabbing you and like almost knocking you over and that kind of stuff wasn't really there. And this was the first week where it was happening. I mean, it was, uh, it was a, a lively environment there for sure. Let's jump into now just the game itself. Uh, Shane, I trust that you've had a chance to do, do your replay and uh, to get caught up on everything, but I kind of want to change up what we do usually. And I want to, I want you guys to let me know a moment in this game where you felt finally comfortable. You know what I mean? Like when, when did you feel like this was a game that the ducks maybe didn't have necessarily in hand, but boy, they came out to play and they're bringing their best effort today. So Shane, I want to go to you first. And what, what was that moment for you at when you're watching this game? I'd say it was the part where I felt most relieved rewatching it, which again, like I already know the outcome. So it's kind of a cheat watch, but it's also like, I haven't watched the game yet. So it's a, it's an interesting way to kind of take it in. But I would say is at the end of the first quarter, uh, when Oregon's defense almost picked off DTR a couple times and the secondary really got their swagger. And I thought this was the best game of the season for a couple players in the secondary uh, Tri-Quiz Bridges, I thought had a really good game. Um, Addison and uh, Steve Stevens, uh, all of them had probably their best performances of the year. Uh, Bennett Williams and uh, Christian Gonzalez was kind of their up to their normal stuff. The the linebackers played pretty good. I still have some some concerns about one of the the linebackers in the passing game, as we've talked about before. 
But uh, it was nice to see that the rest of that unit that I was that we've all been kind of concerned about this season with just these air raid attacks. And we're playing against probably the best offensive team and the most confident team that we've faced in the season. If you maybe want to discount week one. No, that's a great point. And I'm so glad you mentioned Stevens because he seemed to be one of those emotional leaders on that defense also was all, like in between. That's what I love being at the games. You just get to see all the, the, the stuff happening on the sidelines and the huddles. And he was constantly going around and hyping guys up. So Zach, same question to you. When did, when did you finally feel comfortable watching this game? I think so. I, I was just looking at the stat sheet right now. There was three minutes and 10 seconds left in the second quarter UCLA had just settled for a field goal that made it a 24 to 13 game. At that point, I really think I took a breath and was like, okay, I feel confident that Oregon is going to win this game. Cause up until that point, it'd been back and forth. I mean, three to three, 10 to 10 ducks went up 17 to 10, got the onside kick, the huge onside kick went down and scored again to make a 24, 10. But to that point, we hadn't really seen them stop UCLA's offense yet. Uh, but then they they make the Bruins settle for a field goal. And then, of course, they also get the ball back again and go score right before the half to make a 31 to 13. But, you know, once they made it 24, 13, I kind of felt like, all right, this this defense has what it takes in the red area to kind of stop them. I know they're bending a lot, but, you know, they, they didn't break um, several times there. I think they forced three field goals on the day. Uh, that was a really a, a moment in time where I was like, okay, this, I really feel confident in what this team is doing there. They stole that possession with the onside kick. Um, and I think they're schemed up very well. And at that point we could feel confident in the offense as well, that they were kind of having their way with, uh, UCLA's defense, especially in the offensive line, which has been a, a huge key the whole season. And they were just, that did not stop against UCLA's defensive front, which we thought, you know, might be a concern going in. They were like showing out. Yeah, it was I mean, incredibly impressive what they did against that stout defensive line. I mean, UCLA is is not a bad team at all. We made them look like not a great defense that day. As I was kind of putting together some highlights earlier today, I'm like, it's hard not to do the O-line like every single time here. Some of the polls and stuff, it was, it was a game too where you don't necessarily see the O-line like highlight like making highlight plays like getting outside and like hitting guys and getting downfield and some of these blocks like 15 to 20 yards past the line of scrimmage it's not like your big 10 style where it's like oh the o-line created these massive holes they were like fucking people up like all over the field it was incredible well and i i had this question i asked uh bucky irving a question yesterday what kind of with you and mine shane i asked him when he gets a play call and he realized that he's running behind sala who's pulling What's his confident level, confidence level? And he just kind of looked at me with like a smile. just like, come on, you, I mean, you know <laughs> that I'm going for like eight to 15 yards on that play. Like I, and just that response. I mean, they know how good they are. They know how dominant they can be when they're playing like this. And it's, it's been a ton of fun to watch. I just want to say how good at this you guys are. I mean, you had like timestamps, you know, exactly when the play had happened, like breaking <laughs> it all down. I'm just, I'm really impressed with you guys. I, I don't have any of that. I just simply have my pure fan reaction in the stadium. When Bo Nix released that beautiful bomb, that Russell Wilson, like deep ball, that oh, just was on. just up and <laughs> don't do that to me. <laughs> It wasn't a terrible pass. It was way um, better than a Russell Wilson deep ball. It looked like Russell Wilson of old. You know, those, those were the players, okay. that, you know, throwing it up to DK, throwing it up to Doug Baldwin, you know, those deep bombs. Um, just a thing of beauty. And it looked like this team 
I, I hate this. I don't want to use this, but they had a, a, a bravado about them. You know what I mean? They had a, I mean, Bo Nix kind of walked, I mean, he was celebrating, but also just kind of walked off like, yeah, okay, we've done this before. Like, all right, let's, let's go kick this extra point. Let's go get another one. But that moment right there, just as a fan, the stadium was going crazy. I was like, all right, we're not, we're not losing today. I mean, this might be a game. This might be a battle, but we're not, we're not going to go down. Um, all right. Just, uh, some more general takeaways, uh, just some more things. I mean, you guys have talked a lot about the offensive line. Um, obviously Bo Nix played well, but yeah, Shane, what's what's another takeaway you've got? So we just touched on it a little bit, but that onside kick, I want to just talk about the coaching genius that, that was that onside kick for, for that timing of it. It's such a unconventional time for that to come out that I think it caught UCLA off, off guard, but it was also such perfect timing because the way that Dan Lanning was confident that I think that his team could eat that clock going into halftime and making, you know, hopefully getting a two score game there. But if the other thing, was keeping Charbonnet off the field in the first half. The way that Oregon was able to move the ball so methodically and really work the clock. And, I mean, we saw it in the second half. That Charbonnet kid is special. And if oh, UCLA yeah. were to get off to a better start in that game, I think he could have been a serious problem because UCLA in that second half, it's times where it was basically walking up to the line being like, we're going to give him the ball and he's going to run it left. And there was nothing Oregon could really do about it. So I thought that that just how that whole sequence played out and then the, the clock management at the end of the first half to then get the ball back again and even like eat more clock and just really put that game to where UCLA wasn't going to be able to run the ball with Charbonnet effectively and have enough time to come back. I thought was just a, a piece of coaching that we haven't really, I don't want to make this a Cristobal dig, but like a piece of coaching <laughs> that we just haven't had the past few years. And I mean, even before Cristobal with Helfrich, Taggart, none of those guys could really like not only put that game plan in, have it work that well, but then also manipulate the game and just really take all the wind out of UCLA sales to potentially make that a comeback. Well, I think we can, I think we can honestly say it too. Dan Lenny went into this game and he outcoached Chip Kelly, which mm -hmm. is not mm -hmm. something that I would have ever expected. I mean, Oregon went three for three on fourth down conversions. They recovered an onside kick, like you said, in the second quarter. And they just ran such a scheme. I mean, I one of my biggest takeaways from this game came in the third quarter when they ran a 15-play, 82-yard drive that ate up seven minutes and 30 seconds off the clock and scored on it. Like, that's not something we've – I can't remember ever seeing an Oregon team do that. And I know it's a lot of credit to Kenny Dillingham, who we, I think, we should talk about later because his name is continuing to be thrown out there. And it's just – As it should kind be. Of as it should be, we kind of need to have a referendum on, on Dillingham and, and, you know, love him while we can in Eugene, I would say. But, yeah, the the display put on by uh, Dan Lanning and this, his whole coaching staff here, they just – they had their guys so ready to play, and they had a perfect scheme to go up against UCLA. It was just – it's not something I would have ever expected to see from our first-year head coach, and it's just – it was incredibly impressive. In the first half, they averaged nine and a half yards on first down. Incredible. <laughs> and then put together like big drives too. And there was a lot of like setting things up. I mean, they went to that uh, tight end motion, uh, wide receiver screen a, a yep. multiple times. And then they just all of a sudden have them leak out and Bo Nix throws a little like yep. that like shoulder dig pump fake and finds them just wide open in the pylon just over and over again. It's just counterplays, counterplays. 
in the second half, they ran a few plays that actually didn't work, but I thought were really cool where they were running uh, counters with pulling guards going in opposite way. So, I mean, schematically, it, it kind of leaves you in a, a poor situation because you, ha- you don't have numbers and your running back has to make a play. But if you get everybody going that wrong direction, you're talking about an immediate touchdown. Like that's a that's a running play that's going negative three or 90 yards. Yeah, after that oh. onside kick, I tried really hard to get a big balls Dan chant going there in the crowd. But it didn't uh, didn't quite go over. So yeah, we need to keep we need to think of a nickname there for for Dan Landing and some of those gutsier calls for sure. Yeah, go ahead, Zach. Well, and back to that onside kick. What was just so impressive to me was the timing of it because uh, I mean we get to watch practice every week, and he's earlier in practice we were watching it. Uh, I think it was on Wednesday, and they were running it in practice, and he came over to the media and said, "Hey." don't report on this. This don't, I don't want this getting out that we're, you know, thinking about an onside kick. And then uh, it came out. He said after the game that, you know, they saw the look they wanted uh, on UCLA's kickoff in the first time they saw it again on the second time. And then the third time they're like, he said that he looked at the weather and he saw the, the dark clouds rolling in from the West. And he said, Hey, if this is the time to steal a possession, I'm going to do it yes. right now because the weather's about to turn and this game is about to turn and they pulled it off and it worked. And it was just like, that's just, I'll say it again. I feel like a broken record, but that's not something you expect from a first year, what 36 year old head coach to be able to that, to be that present and take advantage of those opportunities. And somebody who's just spent zero time in the Pacific Northwest. And it was like, Oh, weather can change here incredibly quick, which I talked to so many people who were like, that's fucking crazy. It's raining now. I'm like, uh-huh. Like it's October. Yeah. It like, happens. It, yeah. And it might be sunny again in five minutes, but the puddles will never dry. You know what I mean? So was like, that was another thing where I was like, man, he's only lived here for what? Like four months Let's or whatever. See. I mean, yeah, yeah this is Nine his first months. fall. Yeah. I guess it's probably longer than that since last the end of last year, but it's his first like real like you know October here, and he's like already like oh yeah onside kick it the rain's coming in like I think that's <laughs> that shit that like it, it like it creates the the legend of landing the legend of landing I like I know, that. as I said that I was like that's a nice one <laughs> <laughs> well and I do want to give flowers to Zach Charbonnet I mean the guy goes twenty carries one hundred fifty one yards Dude. with a touchdown and just completely completely balled out and honestly i mean dtr played pretty well but had some he could moments have had like four looked, interceptions yeah i mean had some moments where he looked shaky but i just i want to get i mean we're going to jump ahead here a little bit we can go back to the game if we want to but this quote that dtr had after the game i'm sure you guys have seen this i'm just going to read it real quick they're a really good team a really great coach team but at the end of the day i think if we would have done our jobs to the best of our abilities they wouldn't have been able to hang with us on that field Young man, this this was not a game that like three or four plays were going to swing. You know what I mean? Like this this was not a game that, you know, one missed blocking assignment, the game lost. No, sir. So it just uh, I, I respect the irrational confidence. You know what I mean? For sure. But how did you guys feel reading that quote? That's... He just pulled out a young man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm washed, man. I'm officially washed. To me, this reminded me a lot of like the the Matt Liner after the the Texas game Good back pull. in the the championship. It's just like, yeah, you can think that. I have no problem with you thinking that. Just, I I wouldn't say it. I don't think there's many there's much upside to saying that in the media. I'm sure he probably got a talking to from one of his coaches too. But you know, I sure I I'm fine. You know what? I'm happy. He thinks that way. He should think that way. He like you said, he shouldn't be that confident mm-hmm. in himself that they think that the better team still, but. I don't think this is the time to say it. 
I think to be, I mean, especially when you watch a guy like Charbonnet play, the way that he runs the ball, he obviously has a lot of confidence himself. I mean, he's just a uh, ferocious downhill runner with a lot of size. I I can't say enough good things about him, but that quote is ridiculous. Uh, (laughs) Somebody who was just watching this game, I actually had in my notes in the second half, Oh, so this is what it feels like to watch a team just completely physically dominate another one. This felt like (laughs) every time Oregon had played an SEC school or Stanford in its heyday, like where it was just like line it up. I mean, even in the second half when they were having Patrick Herbert like play fullback and they were just getting wherever they wanted on the field. And I mean, they were running the ball in third and eight and converting. They were running the ball. I mean, it was there was times when they could have declared the play before at the line of scrimmage and they were still going to get the, the gaps and everything they wanted. And then you want to add on how hard Bucky Irving was running. Noah Whittington, Sean dollars had a downfield block in the second half. That was amazing. The next play, Noah Whittington throws a downfield block for Sean dollars. So yeah, ridiculous. I think this was probably the most like physically imposing game I've seen out of Oregon. In a long time. I mean, even more than like that Ohio State win where it kind of felt a little more circumstantial. Jane, you know I love a two-back set. I've been talking about this since the days of uh, CJ Verdell and Die and all that and just wanted to see them both out there on the field. And I loved what you said, that they gave them each an opportunity. They basically ran the same play, but just to both sides. And it's like, all right, you go block for him. All right, you go block for him. That was just a thing of beauty. We've kind of buried the lead just a little bit here, though. I mean, this kid, Bo Nix, he uh, turns out he's pretty good. Pretty good, guys. 22 (laughs) of 28, 283 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, I hate to even put this into the universe, but does bad Bo Nix exist still? Have, have, we, have we moved out of that shadow? Has he matured? Like, is this something that we can expect moving forward? What do you think, Zach? I don't want to say that bad Bo Nix no longer exists because, you know, you say that and then he's, he's going to show up at next week or the week after that. So I, I don't think that we need to focus on what's the potential downside, but rather celebrate what we're seeing. And what's so cool is that he's finally getting the praise that I think he deserves. I mean, we've been seeing this Bo Nix for the past six weeks. And now that he finally did it on a, a national stage against a really good team in UCLA, he's finally getting that Heisman buzz. He's finally, I mean, we're, we'll talk about it later. The Ducks are getting, you know, in the conversation with whether or not they should make the college football playoff. And um, I think it's just really cool to see that, you know, he's been able to be this consistent this long um, and he's just finally getting a lot of the recognition that he deserves. And I just am really happy for him because he, he's really been working hard for this. I mean, I love the question, but the bad version of every player exists. I mean, especially in college football, you have so many moving parts and so many things happening. I do think that this team and I mean, Bo Nix is definitely clicking with his O-line, his coordinators and his receivers at a level that I think is about as, you know, uh, impressive as we could ever hope for. But I mean, if, with all that being said, it's, you know, confidence is a tricky thing. It doesn't take a lot to shake confidence, especially for a lot of these young men. I mean, we're, it's, it's amazing how well these guys have been able to gel together with all these transfers and kind of all these new faces uh, in really important positions on this offense. And I think that's kind of the, the, the most impressive part of all this is how well they seem to all be clicking. There was even a, a moment going into halftime where Bo Nix was kind of talking up Chris Hudson on the sideline and you really see him like taking over this leadership role. So I think that 
you know, that version of Bo Nix might be dead and gone. The, 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 or like the sophomore junior year at Auburn, but there's still, you know, endless opportunities for, you know, two straight interceptions or a ball gets tipped off a linebacker or five yards past line of scrimmage, it gets picked off and things, things can spiral. So I think we should all just knock on wood. I don't know if you could hear that <laughs> and, uh, and just hope that, you know, this, this wave that he's riding, cause you see it a lot in college football too, where these quarterbacks, especially like they get hot and they'll go, you know, an entire season looking like the best quarterback we've ever seen. The next season, they might look like a completely different guy. And it's just so much of college football is based on momentum. Well, and, and one thing that I think I, so I got the chance we had, since we know that game day was in town, we had a, there was a media opportunity to talk to Reese Davis and David Pollock last week. And so I went and interviewed him and I asked uh, Davis about Bo Nix and, you know, what he's, what he's seen, the difference between Auburn Bo and Oregon Bo. And he made a point that really stuck out to me that he, he's playing with so much freedom that feels like he's not playing with the weight of the Auburn legacy expectations on him anymore. I mean, he's such he compared Bo Nix at Auburn to Justin Herbert playing at Oregon where he's the hometown kid and say if Herbert's dad had been a, a legendary quarterback for Oregon, that makes it even more so than Nix's dad was quarterback at Auburn. So, but he's playing with so much freedom here because, you know, he's kind of able to not, have to think about what his legacy is in this school anymore. And so I kind of think that he has that confidence now and that veteran experience and um, so much maturity that if he does have a, you know, a start of a game or he throws a bad pick, makes the wrong read, has a fumble or something, I feel pretty confident that he could snap back real quick and actually turn things around and, and correct those mistakes. So um, if you made me pick on whether, we will see bad bow again or not. I don't think we will because I think that he's good enough now to recognize those mistakes and make sure they don't happen again. I also read a quote that he said at Auburn, he wasn't really allowed to like check away from plays. And he said he didn't really have a lot of control with the line of scrimmage. And I think given <laughs> been given that control back by Kenny Dillingham, I think you see that comfortability even more. And that's what kind of allows him to, to have this because it is like this, this calming presence that, that he really has on the field. And I think the, the whole team really picks up on that. So as we, we start to just kind of peek forward, I don't want to jump ahead into our Cal preview yet, but thinking about this game, what's something you'd like to see the ducks kind of clean up this week of practice before they get on the plane to go to Berkeley. Um, Shane, I'll throw it to you first. I have a feeling I might know where you go, where you want to go here, but just, just something you'd like to see them tighten up a little bit before they fly down there. It's it's interesting that I feel like at this point in the season, it's almost like Jeff Bassa is the better linebacker if we know that they're going to pass. He's okay against the run. And I just don't really want Justin Flo out there in zone coverage. I mean, something that they had mentioned in this game is that Oregon was going to be running a lot more zone because they were afraid of DTR's running ability. And so they want to make sure that everybody wasn't turning their back to the line of scrimmage and letting him beating down the field that way. So, so I think Justin Flo was put in a position where he, you know, it, it's not really a game tailored to his skills. But then also a couple of times where he's lined up against running backs and he's just getting beat all across the field. And there was actually a couple of plays that I had tape of this that uh, he didn't get picked on, but he was still out of position. And I think he I don't know if it's just the the want to just go and hit somebody is just overrides his ability to like 
to judge like angles and stuff, or if it's just not the part of his game. I mean, it, it's hard because he does so many things so well on the field and he brings such a, like a bravado to the defense that really kind of gives them extra energy. Um, but then just against, especially lined up against running backs, it seems like he, I don't know if he thinks that he's faster than he is, or he's not used to playing against, cause he still hasn't played that many college football games. He's not used to the speed of some of these running backs, but yeah, I, I'd say the one thing is just the linebackers against the pass. They're just giving up so much on the sidelines and man, when they're in zone, it's making them kind of a liability in the middle of the field. I heard one thing from a, a fellow Oregon beat reporter earlier this week. We we're talking about the same thing. And, um, Shane, you'll definitely like this. He said that if Justin Flo had Steve Stevens football IQ and brain, it'd be maybe the best football player to ever live. Yeah, I <laughs> think like, he'd be the yeah, first overall pick in the draft. I think that's actually <laughs> a very, very good call because, yes, he's got all the physical abilities and the intangibles to be an incredible player. But, you know, there's there's that football IQ piece that's still missing a little bit. That's going to come with experience, I think, that um, I'd be absolutely shocked if he didn't come back for another year at Oregon because he needs that experience. And I think that we'll eventually see it, but you know, right now we're still playing that waiting game. He could come back next year, play, you know, eight games and just show that like that difference that he's able to read and react to a play instead of kind of like predetermine what he's going to do and just go all out. And I mean, you you watch just like his, his focus, his like the way he looks at the coaches on the sideline, the way he talks to the other players that he wants to be the best version of him. It's just something just hasn't quite clicked yet. And like Zach said, once it does, it's going to be a scary, but it's just it like everything is there. The want to be that player is there. So I'm not worried about it. It's just not happening yet. This is kind of a stretch, but I was watching a lot of the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday and he kind of reminds me a lot of Patrick Queen. You know, Patrick Queen, his first, you know, year in the league really struggled, really was trying to find himself out there, find ways to unleash his physical talent. And then this year you really see it. You really see him out there making a lot of plays and picking his spots a little bit better. So I think Flo can do that. Like you guys said, I think just getting a little more time, getting those reps out there. Um, so Zach, same question to you then. What's what's the thing you really want to see him tighten up before they get on that flight? I think it has to be their third down defense that still remains one of the biggest problems for this team. They're allowing over 50% conversion rate, which uh, last I checked, I believe is 127th or 129th in the nation out of 131 teams. Um, you look at the stats against UCLA, they allowed six of 12 third down conversions, um, which, you know, not great. And then we asked Lanning after the game about what he thought of that. And he said, yeah, the numbers, you know, it's about where we are. But then you consider the fact that you know, they turned two of those into fourth down conversions of the third downs that they didn't get. So it looks, it's a little bit worse than it even looks. So um, we talked to Bennett Williams today. He said, yeah, that's something we work. We stress every single day in practice. We know we need to get better, but that's something where he feel, he felt that once it does start to get better, it's going to get better quickly. Kind of like what we were just talking about with the flow. Like once that clicks, he feels like they're going to be a really, really good defense. So um you know, there's, I was kind of racking my brain while Shane was talking about, there's not many things. I think this team needs to clean up too much. It's all very, very little things, but for the most part, they're playing so well that, you know, that's the, I had to think pretty, pretty hard about where this defense can improve. And that's, that's definitely where it would go. 
Mine kind of tangents right off of that, Zach, pretty well. I was really impressed in this game how well the defensive line kind of mush rushed DTR to really keep him in the pocket. And you could tell there was an emphasis placed on containment and not letting him escape. But I think especially going to Cal this next week and a much less mobile Jake Plummer or Jack Plummer, Jack Plummer Jack back Plummer. there. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a different. We'll player. call him um, Jake one more time. Yeah, we'll call him that. <laughs> um, I want to see I want to see some sacks. I want to see some pressure on this quarterback. And I'd like to see the defense just get a little more creative with how they're bringing that pressure. And maybe I mean, I, they did it a couple of times, but bringing flow more off the blitz, you know, letting him just go after that quarterback a little bit more. And I think especially on those third down play is getting a little more aggressive. You know, we've, we've seen it a lot from Oregon um, in past seasons. Also just that, that saggy zone on third down and teams allowed to get that conversion. I'd like to see us turn into a little bit more, I mean, not completely like a Blitzburg kind of a situation, but just, just bring in, bring in some more pressure on those third down possessions to try to, to bring that conversion rate down just a little bit. So with those things in mind, I mean, Zach, you said it perfectly, you know, this team doesn't have a ton of things that it really needs to tighten up. I mean, it's just kind of small things, little bolts on the ship. What is this team's ceiling? You know, just kind of in a, in a big picture, just kind of zooming out, you know, when you, when you really look at where they are right now, six and one, eighth in the country, what, what can this team honestly achieve this season, Shane, as you look forward and what should their realistic goals be? I think with, whoa, watch yourself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> karate chopped his mic. Uh, I think with the remaining schedule that's left, and I mean, with this team's, I, what I think now is I'm very confident in them being a Pac-12 champion. I don't see them be, I don't, I don't think them beating USC in a Pac-12 championship would be a lock, but I definitely would be, I'm more confident now than I was in the start of the season. And with that, and with some of the remaining schedules with the teams ahead of Oregon, I think sneaking back door into the conference football or the college football playoffs, like conversation isn't out of the question, whether or not they get in just because of how stinky that loss is week one to Georgia. But I think that now what I see for this ceiling for this year's team is at least being in the talks for the college football playoff. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's spot on, Zach. Or yeah, Zach, where are you at? Yeah, I think that if we're talking about absolute ceiling, I think this team can get into the to the college football playoff because in order to to do that, they're going to need to win out, win convincingly. That means you know at least a double digit win over Utah, a convincing win over whoever they play in the Pac-12 championship, and they need a little bit of help. You need you know you need Georgia to win out. You need probably Clemson or TCU to fall, and then Oregon's got a really good shot. But um, to be honest, I. I don't want them to go to the college football playoff because that was my I next think question. the downside, yep, exactly. I knew we were going to talk <laughs> about it. I think the downside of getting to the college football playoff and getting absolutely boat, boat raced by, you know, a Georgia or Ohio state or, you know, Alabama or Michigan, whoever they face, that's so much greater than if Oregon were to, you know, finish the season at in that five or six spot and go to a Rose bowl and compete with a Michigan or some or an Ohio State there, I think that would be a much better outcome because you still have that positive feel of the season. Whereas if you kind of go to the college football playoff and you get boat raced again, you still are dealing with a lot of the same narratives that we were after the Georgia game and then that Oregon has been dealing with for years that they can't beat those teams, even though they beat Ohio State last year. So um, if I were to choose my own ending to this season, I would say Pac-12 championship, get to the Rose Bowl, see what happens there. 
What about you, Shane? If this was a choose your own adventure novel, what page you turn into? Uh, any other year or like, you know, outside of this current situation with the PAC 12, I would agree with Zach, but I think it's extremely important for this year and before these con- conferences kind of get dissolved to give the PAC 12 representation in the college football playoff, at least one more time. And I think that Oregon would be the best shot and would have the best chance because I mean, we've all been on record or I've been on record that I, I do like USC's offense. And I think they're a really explosive, fun team to watch. But I think that they would get schlobber knocked in the college football playoff just yeah. because of the way that they're kind of constructed at this time. I think that Lincoln Riley will get that team a little bit more fine tuned the longer that he's there. But as we talked about with this team being a Mario Cristobal built Dan Lanning engine team, I think that they actually could contend with a couple of the teams that we mentioned being possibilities in the college football playoff. Cause I mean, imagine if they did get to meet like a Michigan, I think that could be a really fun game. Just the way that these teams are constructed. I don't really want to see them face like Alabama or Georgia again, especially in that first round. That's what would scare me of the situation that Zach is talking about where it would make this season feel like a loss and fuel, add more fuel to the fire of like the West coast can't beat the Southern teams. But I do just because more of like a grand picture idea i think having representation from the west coast and the pac-12 before we get into mega conference whatever you know nfc afc or whatever it's going to look like here in a few years (laughs) i think we're we're missing a, a key narrative here especially for the flock pod element of all of this the perfect scenario for this duck football team you know where i'm yeah you know where i'm going with this, baby. <laughs> you know where i'm going the tennessee volunteers are up there right now and an opportunity to match up against them just for our duck tent just just for our duck tent purely. Oh, yeah, that's and perfect just, just the way that tennessee constantly is like a, a ghost following our program around and following everything all of our news and things of that nature yeah getting um, trolled by tennessee fans like out of the blue yeah <laughs> out of nowhere so weird <laughs> Uh, I just think that'd be too much fun. Way, way too much fun. So that, that's what I'm rooting for. What do you, what do you got, Zach? So I just want to ask you guys a question that I've heard spout a little bit in the media this past week. Um, if Oregon and Georgia played next week, what do you think that betting line is? What do you think that game looks like? I, oh boy. It's I mean, more like a sad it's a sad question. Yeah, I feel like I the line is still high. I mean, I feel like it's yeah. it's come down a little bit after that UCLA win for sure, but I think you're still looking at a double-digit line. And I oh, think yeah. that just the the confidence that Oregon's playing with and the the identity that they've now developed through these last six weeks, I think they're a very different team. I'm just curious to see how much of the talent gap that identity is able to overcome. And I think it would be a good game. I think it would be a much better game than they played, obviously, in week one. But I mean, that Georgia team's really good. You guys mm-hmm. really, really oh, good. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that Georgia still comes out on top, but it's, it's a battle. I think Oregon scores a touchdown at least. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think it would be an absolute dog walking like it was, but Georgia's still good at all the things that Oregon is bad at. I mean, they still have the tight ends and those tight ends are still going to be matching up against those linebackers and they're just going to do a lot of what they did. So, I mean, it's just like Georgia might be the worst matchup. I mean, outside of, I guess, like Alabama, where it's just like they're, I don't, sometimes I don't know what to think of Alabama just because they are, they just have so much elite talent everywhere. And even like, you know, these 
first round draft picks that we're not even seeing yet. So yeah, I, I, I think Oregon plays better, but I still would have, I'd still probably put the line at Georgia probably like minus 18 and a half, 19 and a half, probably getting close to 20. And I think Georgia yeah. still covers that. Unfortunately. Ironically I, ironically, I think the line is kind of where it was when they actually played, which I think mm-hmm. set up around 17 and a half, but that's kind of impressive on Oregon's part to get it back to that point. Cause if you asked me any week until now, <clears throat> I'd say the line's definitely in the twenties. Um, but yeah, I was just interested. I still think that if they played today or Georgia would definitely win, but I'm, I'm just very curious because this Oregon team is so different than they were that week. And um, yeah, I, I think they could at least put double digits on the board, which would be a uh, impressive. I mean, they set that line at 17 thinking that Oregon was going to look kind of like this, not like as good as yeah. this, but like being this style yeah. of team. So yeah, probably Zach's <laughs> right. Probably like 17. <laughs> Maybe we'll say because Bo Nix is on fire, like 15 and a half, 16. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give him a point. Yeah. We'll, we'll give show Bobo you like a point. point. <laughs> all right let's go ahead and jump ahead unless you guys have anything else to get to from this ucla bruins game all right jumping forward here into the future once again the ducks fly down to lovely berkeley saturday 12 30 fs1 broadcast what are you guys looking forward to in this matchup i mean i watched a little bit of that cal washington game just to kind of get a feel of what we were going into it was really gross really really gross early on and then it got a little bit more entertaining but I'm, I'm curious. I don't think there's anything to really be taken away from that game just because I don't know what Washington is right now. They're, like, they're a very odd enigma of a team. But as you guys look forward to this game, what, what are you looking forward to? I think it's a, a chance for Oregon's defense to really pick up some confidence. I mean, the, the offense, I know that we feel confident. Cal has a pretty good defense. If you didn't know, I mean, Cal is a, a defensive team. They may not be as good defensively this year as they have in years past, but um, I still think Oregon's offense is leagues better and should be able to, to have their way um, with Cal's defense this week. But um, I think that Oregon's defense is severely needing some confidence boost. And I think that they can get that against Cal. Um, Cal throws the ball a lot. I know two weeks ago against Colorado, they had 52 pass attempts last week, they had 34. So they're really going to test the secondary, but they don't really have elite elite players out there. I know Jack Plummer is a middle of the road quarterback. They don't have incredible wide receivers. They've got decent guys, but I think this is a game where Oregon's defense can really step up and focus on taking away the pass, doing a good job in coverage. They're going to have their hands full with Jaden Ott, who's a freshman running back. I think he's been the freshman player, offensive player of the week three times this year. He was actually, I think, committed to Oregon at one point and and, um, changed that late. But um, he's a really good running back and also a receiving back. So, um, they're good at some things that Oregon is bad at, but I don't think good enough to really put this, you know, results in question at all. So I think it'll be a good chance for the Ducks to really show that they're they're much improved on that side of the ball. When it's interesting, you mentioned their wide receivers. I was actually impressed by what I saw from Sturdivant a couple times. I also just like <laughs> saying the word Sturdivant. It's kind of fun to say, but I think that that's a player that Christian Gonzalez can match up really well on and bridges if necessary. So Shane, same question to you. What are you, what are you looking forward to here in this Cal game? Well, with all the, the hubbub of game day and everything that last week was, I do like the biggest thing early in this game is to look if there's any sort of like quote unquote Super Bowl hangover. Um, with, I mean, that being like, you know, probably there being a, a generally large celebration post that game. 
uh, I'm guessing. And, you know, with it being the return of chip and all of these big storylines over. And now that we get into more of these kind of like blase matchups that they're able to keep building on those things that we've seen before. And then like Zach said, uh, I'm looking for the defense to just tee off on this one. I want to see some like takeaways. That's something we haven't seen a ton from this team. Um, there were a couple almost in that last week. I mean, Oregon players running into each other cost them a few interceptions, but yeah, I want to see like Justin's alluded to earlier too, some sacks, we saw DJ and Brandon Dorless get really close to DTR last week, and that escapability was able to kind of get him out of the pocket and get some positive yards. But that whole defense was kind of set to contain him in that. So now that we have a quarterback that we can just really pin our ears back and get after, I want to see just kind of a more dominant performance from the defense, like Zach was saying. No, I think that, again, you guys are really good at this. Um, I want to see us finish a team. You know, even like BYU, I feel like we kind of let linger around Washington State, obviously linger. I mean, I want to see us go out and these are two opportunities. I mean, road games. So that makes it tough. Any any road game in the Pac-12 is going to be a tough game. But I think these are the two two of the worst teams in the Pac-12. So go into their house, take care of business, handle handle it early. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe get Ty Thompson, Ty Thompson, some mm-hmm. reps, you know, maybe, maybe just get him some reps out you there. You sure you want that? I do actually, especially I, I want to see it just the end, not to go into this tangent, but just to get the, the more vibes, right? More positive vibes, more snaps, more Agreed. reps. I think that's going to help, but I just, I want to see this duck team finish. I want to see them actually put a team away, not allow those junk garbage points there in the late fourth quarter and really just handle their business. So Zach, you alluded to one player, obviously that the duck fans need to be very aware of Mr. Jaden Ott. Um, jumping over to duckswire.com. What a great website or duckswire.usatoday.com. Excuse me. What a great website. Um, They do a great job always posting these articles, you know, five players you need to know. So what's another player or two on this Cal team that duck fans need to be aware of? So on defense, I'm looking at linebacker, Jack Sermon. Um, He leads the team so far with 63 tackles uh, for those tackles for loss. Um, He's really, I mean, he's a veteran player. He's got four years over at Cal, 33 games played, uh, 147 total tackles. He was a Pac-12 honorable mention player last year. Um, he's just, he reminds me, I mean, he's not as good as Evan Weaver was. If you're the Pac-12 heads, will know that name, but he's kind of that same mold, just a veteran linebacker that's, you know, he's just always kind of in there, his nose around the ball. So um, he's someone, I mean, I don't have a ton of fear going up against him, but he's someone that I would definitely watch on that side of the ball. All right, Shane, any particular Cal bear that you are curious to watch or at all concerned about this Saturday? To be honest, I couldn't name one if I tried. Uh, (laughs) Cal has been a team that I've probably watched the least of this year. And uh, I think there's good reason for that. So I think Duck should take care of business. I like it. I like it. All right. Anything else on this Cal game before we jump on forward to Duck Generate Corner? All right. Shane, I am officially turning over hosting duties to you, sir. Take it away. Alrighty. Last week, um, let's see. Zach and I uh, take home best record last week, going four and four. Justin was not far behind at three and five, bringing our season totals to where, let's see, who's in the lead now? Zach is in the lead at 43 and 42. Justin right behind him at 41 and 44. And now I'm in last 39 and 46. So 
you know, the, the tides have changed, except for Zach just running away with it. But not at least now you're not <laughs> like only up by one. Yeah, right there. I'm, one. I'm right on his heels. Yeah, you were like 12 games above 500 earlier. That was pretty crazy. All right. <laughs> uh, first week, there was a uh, first second last week. I mean, we went like the first two games. Uh, I went four for four. Zach was three for four. I thought I was going to pull into the lead, but even right back out just like it does when you when you gamble enough. So first game on the docket, we have Utah minus seven on the road in Seattle or no in Pullman, Washington State uh, with an under over of 55 points. That was minus seven at Pullman. Give me Utah and give me the over. I think that Utah, they're kind of juiced up after that USC win. And I think that they're going to keep winning until they come to to Eugene. And that's going to be a huge game. Yeah, I actually, I, I I was thinking the exact same thing. I think this Utah team's looking to to peak at the right time. Uh, it's obviously a huge win. Pullman's a tough place to play. Cougars are kind of you know in a little little disarray up there. I'm, I'm going to take Utah and also take the over. I'm going to go with Utah as well, but I'm going to go with the under. Uh, and I just changed that because you guys both went over. <laughs> and I'm just going to zig just a little bit here, but yeah, I agree with everything you guys were saying. Um, Washington State does have a pretty good defense, so maybe they can slow that game down early. And 55 is a that's a juicy number. It's kind of hard because it's got to be a really boring game, but those do happen. Those do happen. Well, and weather. Weather can always come yep. into play up there in Pullman, too, for sure. And they might get a little bit of everything at this time of the year. Uh, next up, we have our Ducks on the road at Cal, as we previously mentioned. Ducks are laying 18 points, and the under over is 58. I'm just going to manifest it. Give me the ducks and give me the over. Yeah. Just, just manifest, manifest a dominant victory. Yeah. I'm doing the same. And that will make all three of us. And this is going to be boring here. Um, Yeah. I am still. Before you move on, I got this line at ducks minus 14 when it opened. Wow. Um, seemed like a very tasty number so yeah i was i was curious to see what number you threw at us because i knew that i was out there early and it, it quickly moved so yeah 18 seems about right yeah i try and keep up with these i did these last night um, yeah. which is usually fairly accurate there's not too much movement like monday tuesday wednesday usually uh we should note that it's crazy that oregon line got all the way to seven points last week like yeah. ESPN, has I saw seven. seven and a half. Yeah, I so saw much, seven yeah. and a half. So it was like, oh my god! And of course, they covered. But yeah, yeah, that was that was wild. But like all three of us were like, nope, boom, six, not yeah. moving anymore, and it went up a point <laughs> yeah. and a half. That's that is wild. Well, yeah, I went when this the... cow line. Yeah, when oh, this yeah. cow line opened, I saw it as low as twelve and a half, and then it quickly got up to sixteen, and then yeah, wow. now where you said is at at eighteen. So yeah. it's. I don't know. It's the betters are really favoring Oregon heavy right now. Well, I mean, if you look at what this season has brought, they are covering and they're going over. So, I mean, I was actually a little bit surprised to see it at 58 points. Cause then I'm like, so wait, are they saying that Cal's going to score six or seven basically is what they're predicting yeah. with how many points Oregon's averaging. Yeah. yeah. That seems very low. Yeah. So maybe I'll go hit that over. I don't know. All right. Next up, this was a this was a week of uh, road favorites. A lot of home dogs this week. Um, USC is on the road at Arizona. USC is laying 15 points. The under over is 75 and a half. 
Yep. This, this easy money, baby. Give me USC and give me that over. Just, just stay with <laughs> yeah. it. Just stay with it. Yeah, I, I agree. Honestly, I mean, USC's defense, they're opportunistic. They get turnovers, but I don't think they stop people that much. I think that's going to go over. I'm going to take Arizona with the points here and I'm going to go way over. And I'm going to just say this game is like just a touchdown fest that Arizona is never really that close in probably chasing behind like 20 points most of the game. But I think it's just going to be one of those just touchdown factory games. And I think Arizona will have a backdoor cover there when the game's out of question. What time is that game? Do you know I'm sorry. I, I have these down. It feels in, like a Pac-12 after dark game. I have these down in order of kickoff. So that's the third. I don't know. Four o'clock or something. That's what I'm ducks are at noon, then, yeah. Were you yeah. guys surprised? I mean, just I know we talked a little about game time. Were you guys surprised to see the Ducks and Cal get this time slot? I thought this was prime Pac-12 after dark. <sighs> what to me, network? it shows the respect that it's on FS1. To me, it shows okay. that they're trying to get Oregon in some in in front of some eyeballs because they've seen that I don't know if you've seen the viewership that the Ducks are getting, but it's blowing the rest of the conference out of the water right yeah, now. It's through the roof. And so yeah. it's give the people what they want, throw on the Ducks, and you're going to get some viewers. So uh, I actually thought that was I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's notable that they're getting this 12:30 time slot against a bad team like Cal because. You know, no one's tuning in this into this game to watch the Golden Bears, but I still guarantee you it's going to get a pretty good number because Oregon's playing. Well, not Shout only the, oh, sorry, go ahead, Shane. Well, not only is Oregon like a, a good team, but they also have all these like fun things to talk about for commentators. You notice it in like all the TV broadcasts. There's just all these little Dan Lanning like nuts and bolts things that commentators just can eat up a lot of like dead air with. So, I mean, not only are they like a good team out West, but then they're also like this young coaching staff, kind of like the, the sexy team to talk about. So I think it makes them even more like better in the viewing experience, just because it's not like talking about like, Oh, same old, same old team, especially again, I just keep taking these like subliminal shots at Mario Cristobal, but like there is more, to talk about them just like Mario Cristobal, like, oh, an offensive lineman, guess what this team's good at? Blocking. You know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> they were kind of like a boring product. All right, two quick things before we jump ahead. Love the Jalen and Jacoby mentioned there. We haven't had nearly enough of the, the shout-out and the respect given to the Podfathers. And they lost to Duke. Miami, <laughs> Miami needs all of the shade possible. All right, Shane, go ahead. All right. Uh, where were we at here? All right, cool. Um, Arizona State on the road at Colorado, minus 13 and a half for the Sun Devils with an under over of 47. 13 and a half. Yeah. You ready for it? Oh, give me Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> Converted. Give me the over and give me Colorado. I mean, Arizona State's going to go out and lose to what, Stanford last week? Yeah, I think it was wasn't that fifteen to fourteen games. Five field like goals, baby. <laughs> God, they yeah. are terrible. Yeah, give me Colorado. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stay with my Colorado buffs. money line. Yeah, I gotta gotta stay with my buffs. Gotta continue to support them. Um, yeah, that's a really low number, though. I've, I've, as much as I want to take the under, it's it's got to be an over for me. All right, uh, I went with Colorado. My um, yes, my blind support for Arizona Let's State go. is gone. Uh, I was I, I 
I was thinking maybe they'd be that that frisky team without Herm there. I still do like that a quarterback that transferred from Florida, but they just they just do weird shit, man. It's just it's a it's a weird team to watch. I caught a little bit of that Stanford game where it's just like you know, like third and eight, and they're throwing like three yard screens and just a lot of these things that just don't equate to like winning football, which is really bizarre because they're in a situation with what it looks like a decent amount of talent with nothing to lose, and they could just do these kitchen sink things, but instead. It's just this like ultra, ultra safe like mentality. But within that, I'm going to go under. And I think that uh, I think this game just stays wicked low. I think it's just going to be a horrible viewing experience. Um, so, yeah, I think I think, you know, Colorado might lose, but to keep it within their 13 and a half under there. Yeah. Nice little 10, seven game. <laughs> oh, God, that's awful. Yeah. Uh, I would like to point out real quick listeners, if you've listened at all and know what you're doing at all go to your sports book right now and just hammer arizona state <laughs> Colorado. i guarantee you arizona state's gonna blow them out now i feel so much worse about my colorado pick after hearing shane pick colorado as well <laughs> yeah take out a loan um, last up we have our first road underdog of the week we have stanford getting 17 down there in the rose bowl against ucla uh under over is going to be 64 and a half yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take an angry Bruins squad but i'm gonna take the under there i think that cardinal defense can hold them just enough in check but i think they might only score 10 13 kind of points here in this game and i think ucla just boat racism yeah i say the exact same thing ucla i mean ucla is a good team Oregon didn't really prove that they're a bad team. I think Oregon has proved that they are themselves a really good team. So I think UCLA needs a good right spot, and this is definitely it. So expect that defense to really come out angry as well. Yeah, with the way that Oregon's O-line kind of bullied them for three hours last Saturday, I think maybe Chip Kelly will actually talk to his defense this week, maybe get them riled up. I don't know if anybody remembers those rumors, Chip Kelly. But, uh, yeah, so I went UCLA in the under – uh, they're going to look for a get right. They they still have face to save in the national rankings with them being, you know, still in midway in the rankings and can still turn the season into something really positive. And, you know, Chip is still looking for that the best possible version of his best season so far at UCLA. So, I mean, as as much as he wanted that win at Oregon, he's going to want to finish out the rest of the season even stronger. Right there with you. Is that our last game? Yep, yep. That's going to be the right. night game. We have uh, we have reached the end of the podcast here. We've been doing a fun thing here at the end, just trying to get off some hot takes or any final thoughts here. It looks like Zach, Zach, you've got something. You got something yeah. burning there. Something you got we, something uh, in the cauldron. What do you got for us? Something we mentioned a little bit, a little bit earlier. The uh, Kenny Dillingham Arizona State whole situation what are your guys thoughts and feelings on this because his name is being brought up more and more for that arizona state head coaching job just curious i've heard a lot online people being like you're insane it's way too early he hasn't even had a full year as an offensive play caller i still think it's a very strong possibility if he doesn't leave this year i think he's absolutely gone by next year um just curious to hear your thoughts well i mean it's a he's He's obviously a great mind. Like we've seen that, you know, we have we have evidence of that, that he's he's good at what he's doing. And like you just said, I mean, it 
it hasn't been that long. He hasn't had a bad game calling plays really yet, unless you want to count that Georgia game. And I think most people are going to give him a pass on that one. So if he was to capitalize on his stock being at a high time, I really wouldn't blame him for that. I would warn him that uh, coaches leaving Oregon for their dream job in their home state generally doesn't go very well, and it might be a career ruiner for you. Uh, don't hire Scott Frost as your offensive coordinator. Um, <laughs> actually, that would be a pretty cool pairing, though. <laughs> that would be say fun. It, that actually that, that would be yeah. really fun. Um, I hope I didn't just speak that into existence. But yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we've talked about this before. If we want Oregon to be this program that's going to be contending for championships, we have to get really, really comfortable with our offensive and defensive coordinators taking head coaching jobs elsewhere because that is the formula. Yeah, I for Kenny Dillingham, I love it. I mean, just as, as he's a part of this Oregon program, we obviously want to see him go succeed. We want to see him get a great opportunity. I've talked at length on this podcast. So I think Arizona state is one of the sleeping giants in the country when it comes to college football as a duck fan. I absolutely hate it for that very reason, because I think Dillingham is really good at what he does. He brings great energy and I think he could revitalize that program and wake it up into that giant that it possibly could be. So I don't want to see that happen. I don't want Arizona state to get good. So I don't want Dillingham to go, but again, as a, as a duck fan and just as someone that wants to see good things for anybody involved in your program, if he has the chance, I'd say, go get the bag, jump on it go get the bag. Well, and one thing we need to also note is that Dan Lanning is really of the Kirby smart mindset here where he wants this for his coordinators. Yes. I mean, he's always had the idea that he wants his team and his coaching staff to be sort of an incubator for coaches and players to go on to the next level and be on be in the NFL, go get head coaching jobs, go get coordinator jobs if you're a position coach. So um, I don't think that he's going to be someone that really stops this. Um, I'm sure he wants Kenny to stay on because they've got an amazing thing going right now. But um, yeah, I, a few weeks ago, I kind of thought it was a long shot that Dillingham would be leaving after just a year. I've just, I've heard this buzz grow more than I thought it ever would. And I, I'm almost to the, I'm not quite at the point, but I'm almost to the point where I'd be more surprised if he's here again next year than if he's not. But it does, it, it kind of reminds me of like when the Oregon head coach job search was going on and Justin Wilcox caught all that buzz. And it was like, because of this reason and he, you know, he knows the area and this, that, and the other. And then when it really came down to like brass tacks, he was like, I wasn't going to Oregon. You know what I mean? It was like, then it was like that whole story was like, oh, all the storylines were set in place. But what we didn't really know was that that wasn't as likely to happen as the storylines presented. So, I mean, it's also like it does almost seem a little bit too much of the stars aligning. But then at the same time, if he takes the job, we'll go, well, duh, you know, the stars aligned. <laughs> so, <laughs> we don't know anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we know anything, it's that we don't know anything. All right, Shane, any any final takes? Any, any things you just got to get off your chest here? I have a couple. Um, oh, I love it. Yes. First we, got, one... we got sat up, Shane. He like leaned in a little bit. Yes. <laughs> The first one is just, I think we need to give a little bit of praise to somebody that I've seen get zero praise this season for this Oregon team. That's been like a nice uh, change of pace and consistency. Camden Lewis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, he hasn't, yeah. hasn't missed a field goal this year. I think, like I said earlier, if UCLA was able to get a lead in that game, I think we might have seen a much different ball game. Might have ended up being a lot more like Charbonnet had predicted there with them being the better team. But he hits that like kind of deep, 
from the left hash field goal and just barely drops it in that corner of the upright. He's perfect on the year, and he's just created this level of kind of like ease that we haven't had before. And I think a lot of these games would have gone a little bit differently. I mean, BYU, Washington State, if we not knowing that we have a solid kicker and Oregon fans know that feeling. I mean, that Chip Kelly era, like, you know, if it wasn't for so many other things going right, it gave it left so much potential for things to go wrong. And I just think that it's it's kind of crazy that we have this super stable kicker and now he's getting no love. But when we had shit kickers, it was all that anybody could ever talk about. So we I do want to give a little bit of praise there. Um, Before you jump ahead, before Camden we move Lewis, on, yeah, I want yeah. to talk about Camden. Camden Lewis needs to take a shirtless picture with a trophy sitting between his legs, just like Cattleman did, and then he'll be a legend. So just just to put that out there, yeah, go ahead, Zach. You're just you're speaking to my heart with Camden. I I love this kid. <laughs> I mean, I I've talked to Camden a little bit outside of football. I've golfed with him once before, and um, I'm just so so happy that he's getting i mean even this recognition and just having this success because like you said he's been perfect on the year and really taken that oregon you know drama and fear about the kicker position away from the fan base right now thankfully so and you know this is a guy who lost the kicking job two years ago could have easily transferred and gone to somewhere where we had a starting job he stayed in utah Gene fought hard, got the kicking job back, and is now, you know, he's an incredible kicker. Um, so I, I'm just so happy that you brought that up. It's it's really kudos to him because it's been very fun to watch him find the success in Eugene. Yeah, every kicker leaves when they lose their job. That's yeah. the way that position works. And it's kind of just because, you know, there's not a lot of stock in having backup kickers a little bit more in the college level just because you're kind of, you know, you always got to make sure you're feeding in. But it's when usually when a guy loses the job, that's it. And if they're able to get it back, it's elsewhere. So for to see him like fight for the job back for a guy, especially to beat a guy that like Justin and I loved, like we were so surprised when it was like, wait, Cattleman's not going to be the kicker anymore. Like, are you kidding me? But <laughs> you know, the proof is in the pudding there. Now, my second thing is going to be a little bit more of a hot take. I was watching some college football this week and you know, with the, the transfer portal with these quarterbacks and Bo Nix, you know, might be in the NFL. It might be, you know, who, who knows what his future is going to look like. Oregon does have some players here. We're not really sure what we think of Ty Thompson yet. We have an incoming freshman's big deal. What do you guys think about going after? I can't say his name just because I can't pronounce it. Clemson's quarterback. EJ. There we go. Thank you, Zach. I can I can practice it and then I'll go to say it and then I'll just it's one of those when you start to say it wrong it kind of like unravels. Yeah. Well, what the do you pronunciation you... does not go with the spelling either. It's it's exactly. very strange. And I've also heard it pronounced like nine different ways on nine different broadcasts. No but I mean knows. he he kind of fits this mold where he's in a similar spot that Bo was in in Auburn. And I don't know if maybe getting him I and I do think didn't wasn't Oregon a team he considered or at least had like yes. his top 15 or something like that. And his younger brother is a five-star defensive end who is strongly considering the Ducks along and with keeps, Ohio State and USC. So I keep getting reports that he's wearing Oregon gloves, which I find to be the most hilarious yeah. like reports. Like, oh, he had Oregon gloves yeah. on. Like, 
Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I have a Clippers t-shirt. Welcome to <laughs> recruiting reporting. It's a shit show at times. <laughs> I was like, wow, dude, that's got to be a tough one to get like 500 words out of. But I, I do JD, think that, take it away. Yeah. Yeah. You've kind of broke my brain with this one. I yeah. love this. I absolutely love it. I mean, not only, like you said, he does fit the mold for what Oregon is looking for younger brother considering coming here, obviously tons of talent, but just also I hate Dabo Sweeney. So anything mm-hmm. we can take away yeah. from the Clemson program, I am. And if am he was to flip for. it and like make Dabo look like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I think what Oregon has done now with Bo Nix and showing that this coaching staff can rehabilitate, you know, a former five-star type player, I think does, kind of send the Ravens out, you know, throughout college football saying, Hey, this is a place that you can come. This is a place that you can succeed. Yes. We have talent waiting in the wings. Yes. We have more talent coming in, but come in, compete and, and see what you can do here. We're in the green and yellow, but I, I love that. I didn't, I've never thought about, it. I love this idea, Shane. Absolutely. love it. Nice. I don't love it. I'm not <laughs> completely against it, but I can't say I'm a huge proponent it just complicates things so much. And Oregon has already had a a complicated past few years uh, at the quarterback position. We don't know what Ty Thompson's going to do. He could stick around and be who we thought he was always going to be. We don't know what Bo Nix is going to do. He could come back and be the Heisman front runner next year. Um, He's got another year of eligibility. If Dillingham stays and Bo Nix stays, that's one of the championship contenders going into the season. Then you also have Dante Moore, who is the, you know, based on where you look, anywhere between the number one and number three quarterback in the 2023 class, five-star recruit. Bringing in another former five-star quarterback, um, you know, it just makes things complicated. I'm not saying that if it would happen, I'd be against it, because, yes, I think it could find a lot of success. Um, I would just need to know a lot more about what's going to happen with those other pieces first. Um, if Thompson goes to a different team through a portal and Nick leaves, then I think that, yeah, bring in DJ and let him compete with Dante Moore, who I've heard from a couple different people that they believe he's going to be a day one starter and be an incredible player. So I don't know. We haven't seen him at the college level, but I've heard that he's got this college-like talent and is expected to be able to succeed early on, but um yeah i would just kind of kick my answer down the road a little bit because i want to see what's going on with those other guys first before i say yeah bring it on yep i like it yep stack the room with talent i love that we're both looking at from different perspectives good stuff all right shane any other hot takes here or was that the, the hottest one you had that, that was that was that was flaming out buddy. i enjoyed those yeah. little yeah that was flaming <laughs> out. final thoughts um i've got a few things here as we uh, as we wrap up um this is more of just a general sports thing. Can we stop with the overrated chance? Mm. I just, it's just so dumb. Just, just let's just stop with the overrated chance. Just in general, just, just get rid of that. No, it's not necessary. It demeans the win that you're getting. Like it just doesn't That's make yeah, it literally yeah. hurts your own yeah. perception. You're saying that UCLA is, you should be saying they're the best team ever and you're yeah. kicking their ass. Are you the saying time- they're worse than they are? The only time I kind of like it is when like Appalachian State beats, but I mean that happened like in the big house. But like when like a a really small team beats like a number one or like a top ranked team, yeah. and then they get the under it because then it's like you know it, you're not well, really 
hurting your own stock any. You know, the win is the win. Yeah, I think if you're unranked and you're beating a ranked team, yeah, and you don't really have that high of season prospects, then yeah, go for it. But for Oregon fans who are actually ranked higher than UCLA in some polls, to be saying that UCLA is overrated, it's like, well, no, you want them to be looking as strong as possible right now, so you should probably stop. Actually, I wish you were ranked number three. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The only other time I like it is if, like, Oregon's, like, you know, you know, five and three or whatever, and beats like a ranked Washington team, just because we like yeah. digging Washington more than we actually like winning the game. It's more about making them sad than us happy. That makes yeah. sense. So that's, that's the, I was disappointed in the Otson fans for that, but I was so happy that we didn't rush the field. I was so worried and so concerned that we were just have a, an overexcited fan base that would, but yeah, that I loved, love that we didn't do that. So there's your little sandwich. There's the negative thing. And then the positive thing there at the end. Um, and just uh, a last thing here. Uh, I wanted to read a couple reviews, a couple reviews that we've got here oh, on the old, uh, the old iTunes. Um, five stars, best sports pass, eh, best sports podcast in the region. It's super relatable. Makes me feel like I'm just talking sports at home with the boys, except they actually do their research. Love that. I mean, I don't do research famously, but these that's guys, why, that's why Zach's here. Yeah. yeah these guys are very, very <laughs> and uh, one more, one more here, just cause I think it is fun. This podcast is as entertaining as it is informative. Not only that, but the host sounds super sexy. Well, just to let you all know out there, we are all uh, partnered individuals here on the podcast. We all have uh, lovely ladies already in our lives, but thank you for that. L- love the compliment for sure. But uh, that's all I got, gentlemen. Anything I who that here? was. Uh, that's no. not a video podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm driving just leave it to the allure that we might be good looking. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. So as always, take care of your chicken. Take care of your mentals. We appreciate you. We love you. We out. Sorry.
You've been so good to me. You've been so good to me. You know you make me wanna lift my head up and throw my head back and come on now, come on now, a little bit softer 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 now, a little bit louder now. A little bit softer now. A little bit louder now. A little bit.